drive-in cheesy mad scientist you know and i like it it's so hammy it's like it's so hammy i want to fucking throw it on a slice of bread with some cheese it's it's really good <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to the Video Express, where we dust off old VHS tapes and discuss all things horror, sci-fi, and exploitation. I'm Matt. And I'm Katie. Katie, tell our fine listeners what movie we're spotlighting on tonight's show. Alright, so tonight we are talking about The Dead Pit from 1989, written and directed by Brett Leonard. Yes, 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 The Dead Pit. Can you uh, can you tell folks at home who has more than likely not seen this movie... Uh, Maybe a little bit about it? Yeah, so um, just kind of a brief synopsis here. A renegade doctor is shot dead and entombed with his fiendish experiments in the basement of an abandoned wing of a mental hospital. Uh, He's actually doing, like, lobotomies on patients and then carrying them down into the basement to do God knows what. Anyway, we'll get into it. 20 years later, 20 years later... A mysterious woman is admitted with amnesia, and her arrival is marked by an earthquake, which cracks the seal to the dead pit, freeing the evil doctor to continue his work. That's pretty much it. Now, folks, that sounds amazing, right? It's a shame that it's not. Anyway, before we go any further, Katie, why don't you tell the fine folks what's going on in the cinema world today? Okay, so I've got a few horror anniversaries and and one like movie recommendation. So today, um, the day that this episode is coming out is March 10th, 2021, and we've got some anniversaries. So the first one is The Hills Have Eyes. The 2006 version is turning 15. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen that one like since it came out, I don't think. It's been a long time. It's so good. Um, we also... Yeah, it, I remember it being pretty gnarly. It's just been a long time. Um, and then these next two, Matt, I have not seen these, but you suggested these. Yes, uh, this it. is Fro- Frogs 1972 is turning 49. Yep. And then we have The Church from 1989 is th- uh, turning 32. Yay! So, I don't know. So, so happy birthday, happy anniversary. <laughs> Happy anniversary to Frog, starring none other than Sam Elliott. Oh, really? Yes, a very young Sam uh, awesome. Sam Elliott, sans mustache, going up a bunch of oh, uh, wow. going up against a bunch of carnivorous frogs. It's just as batshit right. crazy as it sounds, and it's a fucking slew of fun. And what about the church? I haven't seen that one either. So the church is a uh, is a class. Well, I mean, classic to me, I, I should say um italian film (laughs) (laughs) and uh what's funny is what's what's really funny is um it's sometimes billed um as a sequel to other uh, italian horror films so uh, i'm a huge fan of course of uh demons which was produced by dario argento uh, and, and of course demons too and uh this movie the church 
was billed originally as Demons 3, uh, although it has little to nothing at all to do with the movie. Um, but it is still produced by Dario Argento. And uh, that's pretty, okay. pretty much the only ties to it. But uh, it's, it's, of course, about like some demonic entities within a church and spooky stuff. And there's like a a devil sex scene on an altar. It's, you know, you, you got to see it. It's, uh, you know, yeah, you, you know, <laughs> classic kind of stuff. It's got Aji Argento in it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, so okay, well, that, cool. that sounds interesting to me. I'll probably have to check that one out. Um, and then, okay, the only uh, suggestion that I have is a movie that I haven't seen yet, and this movie actually comes out tomorrow, March 11th. So this movie will be on Shudder tomorrow, and it's called Stay Out of the Fucking Attic. <laughs> <laughs> so it's already got a great name. <laughs> and um, I'll just read you the little blurb here. It sounds very interesting. Uh, spoiler alert, it looks like there's some evil, evil Nazi science experiments going on in this one, uh, similar to another suggestion I had in a previous episode. <laughs> um, anyway. A diverse group of ex-cons who work as movers are convinced by their creepy client to stay the whole night to finish the job for a generous pay bump. So the guy's like, you got to pack everything up and get it done tonight and I'll pay you like triple. And they're like, okay. And then slowly over the night, it's like this big creepy Victorian mansion and they discover uh, there's like booby traps, human experimentation, Nazi monsters, and and more apparently. Wow. And so I watched the trailer and it looks pretty, pretty gory, pretty intense, um, but kind of funny too at parts. So I'm definitely very excited to check that out. So yeah, once again, stay out of the fucking attic. That will be on Shudder uh, tomorrow, March 11th. I really hope this like uh, is the beginning of like some kind of like a trilogy, like you know. So you got stay out of the fucking attic, and then like stay out of the fucking basement, and uh, you know something, something like that. Yes. Like like all those movies from like the seventies yes. uh, and early eighties, like don't go into the house, don't go into the basement. You know all those fucking don't movies. I think the third installment of that would be stay off my fucking lawn, and it would be about <laughs> just like an old man who wants the kids to go away. Good stuff. Well, Katie, thank you for the the updates. Uh, So now that that's over, let's go ahead and uh, roll into the dead pit. Katie, this is your first time viewing. Tell me what you thought about the movie. Yeah, so I think there are things to like about this movie for sure. Um, I'm, I'm really into the you know, it's got pretty great special effects. Well, not great, but like fun, um, practical special effects, some some better than others. Um, it's got a pretty interesting setting and I'm really into like the lighting and like the, the just production design of it in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's got a really cool villain, but the acting's kind of bad and like it's just kind of slow. Like the zombies don't actually even show up until like the third act and they barely really have a role in it it seems um so that was a little disappointing to me and then ultimately i felt i'm not sure if this is a good thing or a bad thing i think it kind of sometimes is both uh but the whole movie just felt like a scene that i would walk past like at a haunted house attraction (laughs) you know like every haunted house has that like the like mad scientist and his weird experiments gone awry and it just felt like i was walking past that right (laughs) constantly no, so I agree with you. The um, the the winner of the movie is not the actors. It's not the the makeup effects. It's the lighting um, for sure. That's one thing that I noticed yeah. uh, while watching it again was how. I mean, I wouldn't say like it's expert lighting, 
but it, it's lighting that totally yeah. captures the perfect mood um, for the settings and stuff like that. So that was the standout to me mm-hmm. while while rewatching this was definitely the lighting. Yeah, I think I feel like there's a you know there's a specific shot I'm thinking of where the the main character Jane Doe she's like running down this hallway of like the of an abandoned wing and there's just like red and blue light like kind of in the room coming into the room but then there's these like just white light coming in through the blinds and it's kind of hazy it just looks it's very moody like you said you nailed it like they they were they kind of went style over substance with this movie i feel like in a lot of ways oh absolutely you know it's funny um while watching this movie it it Sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing when you watch a movie and it immediately makes you think, start thinking of other movies. Um, but on, on this <laughs> yeah. case, like I, I noticed while watching this movie, it's got that very specific like haze to the movie. Now, of course, there's there's scenes in the, that takes place in the, in the hospital where it's supposed to be like you know kind of hazy and, and moody looking, but then there are scenes where just like random everyday shits happening and still the movie has this like. I don't I don't want to say blurry, but it's like it's just like a hazy look to it. And yeah, it's so, it's so funny because it so immediately it made me think of other movies of that exact era. Like there's so many um, direct to video movies, basically from like between 1987 to like 1992. A lot of these straight to video. Uh, I don't want to say bargain basement horror films, but I mean, that's kind of what they were had that look to them. And I used to think that it was a it was a, a style choice. I thought maybe it was intentional. Mm-hmm. Now I'm I'm starting to wonder if uh, if it like since these movies were a little bit lower rent, lower budget, if it wasn't something to do with like maybe the film stock or the cameras themselves. Um, they, they give them like that weird hazy look. It's weird. Like yeah. the way I can describe it is everybody looks like they should be sweaty, even though they're not. Does that make sense? It looks like the whole movie looks humid. <laughs> yes. It looks humid. It's a, Okay. That's a really good way to describe it. And I mean, it's one of those, it's like, even if it's not intentional, it just makes the movie, it just serves the movie in a positive way because kind like it just adds this dream light disorienting kind of like element to it. And right. our main character has lost her memory and is very confused. So I think it kind of adds to that. Well, uh, you said our main character, uh, and, and of course, her. You know, we we know her for ninety nine percent of the movie is just Jane Doe. She's a girl who doesn't know who she is, and she just got thrown into this mental institute. So, since we've already brought that up, why don't we go ahead and start talking about uh, the characters and the actors, the good and bad of of, of the movie, which I think, unfortunately, uh, is mostly bad. <laughs> Not to say that there's mm-hmm. not charming aspects to these characters, uh, but uh, let's mm-hmm. let's talk about let's talk about Jane Doe first, who of course was played by uh, Cheryl Lawson. Yeah, so I okay. First of all, I love I love her look. Like she's got amazing hair. Like yeah. I was hypnotized by her huge mane of curly hair uh, that was just like perfect the entire movie, which is funny. Um, she looks like she should be crawling around on. Um, on like the hood of a car and like a white snake video. <laughs> yes, absolutely. She totally has that like eighties babe look. And then like, I will pat. I will say this. Um not, not to keep interrupting you, but I, I do have to drive home the fact that her not only is her hair amazing, but she is fucking hot. 
Like she is like yeah, she's major babe. Yeah, but anyway, I, I had to get yeah. that out. Go ahead. No, she she is super hot. Um, unfortunately, not the best actor. No. Um, I think it's really hit her. There's times when like when she's supposed to be, you know kind of frantic and, and she's got a great this is a weird thing to say she has a great scream um mm-hmm. i don't know i just liked it. I, it's her like when she was like freaking out it it was believable or at least entertaining to me she kind of fell flat in some of the like more toned down just conversations where she was just kind of being normal right. um but that being said you know she was she still did a pretty good job you know just as an actor yeah. um as a character I think, you know, it's a really interesting premise to to join a protagonist like right after they've lost all their memory and they don't know who they are. And so you're kind of like thrust into the situation with her where she's put into this mental asylum and she's just like, I don't belong here. Like, I'm not supposed to be here. Um, but that being said, I'm so confused by like why, like why she's why did they put her in a mental institute like i just am very confused by that they said they like found her wandering like in a park or something and then they said something about like the court sending her to this asylum but i don't i don't know what do you mean you don't katie she had to get there somehow what do you expect how's this movie going to happen if they don't i mean exactly yeah (laughs) okay i mean knowing what i know now about a little bit about the production of this movie, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, I, I mean, I get it. I, I understand why this plot is a little bare bones, uh, but that that's probably like one of my main complaints is like, there's just stuff like that that doesn't get explained or fleshed out in any way, but right. they have all this time in the movie to explore it, that they just spend on these really long unnecessary scenes where nothing happens. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, I think it, you you kind of you said it best. Uh, it sums it up where the movie as a whole is a great premise. Um, it's just mm-hmm. it just falls flat. Um, there's it's packed full of some really really great ideas. Um, just none of them are just yes. really fleshed out good enough. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think. I mean, just bringing it back to like Jane as a character, um, I think, you know, we mentioned how attractive she is. She kind of is just like in this tank top, crop top, and bikini panties, like for 90% of the movie. Yes. (laughs) Which I, which I love because it seems so just like, it seems so ridiculous. And then, but it, but it's, it's perfect. Like it's, it just fits the movie perfectly somehow. And I actually found out that apparently they wanted her to wear that, like that hospital gown for like most of the movie. Uh And Cheryl Lawson, the actor, she, she thought it made her look quote unquote large. So she didn't want to wear it. So she like cut, part of it off to I guess make it like shorter or something but then as they kept washing it it just kept shrinking and getting smaller and smaller so either I'm not exactly sure what happened either the like crop top she's wearing is just like what's left of that gown or they just said fuck it that we can't use this anymore and they just threw her in this like crop top t-shirt <laughs> I'm thinking that I'm thinking this threw in that crop top and then panties which like 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 you said it's like it's amazing I, yeah. um, and I Again, the movie's not a fucking fantastic movie. However, you got a fine woman walking around like that for like a good, I would honestly say 95% of the movie she's wearing that. 
Um, yeah. So that that at least bumps it up a, a couple stars. Um, it makes it at least worth a watch. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Cheryl Wilson, the actress who plays Jane Doe, uh, for anybody listening that's like me, that's, you know, hardcore into to the 80s VHS era, you might know her from another small, uh, almost unheard of film called The Vineyard. Um, but Cheryl Lawson's also, I do know that she's most well known as a stunt woman and she's still working today in yes. films. Uh, she was in, uh, the true detective, the, the series, uh, the, uh, the, I, I would say it's somewhat newly found Christmas classic Santa sleigh starring, uh, Goldberg. Uh, she did stunts for that. She did the mm-hmm. stunts in Spider-Man two. Uh, she was, uh, the stunt, the main stunt woman, uh, double, for I believe Kelly Who was the actress's name in The Scorpion King. I could be wrong. I, I think it's something like that. Mm-hmm. She was in, anyway. Uh, no, Friday that's the, right. I was literally just looking at it on IMDb. <laughs> I was the, the chick from Friday the Thing Part 8. But anyway, uh, she was the uh, the stunt double for her. And um, she was also a uh, stunt woman in The Boogeyman 2. Not to be confused by the Uli Lomel Boogeyman series, but the, the shitty early 2000s Boogeyman movies. So, um, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, good, good on her. Like you know, she, she's had quite a career. Yeah, she honestly has. Um, and good, good on her. I mean, she's a great, you know, great at what she does. She likes what she does, and she keeps doing it. And I'm um, again, she's fucking hot. So we got, we got that going yeah. on. Um, I, I'll, I'll piggyback off of what you said about yeah, her. She's got a great scream. She's she's good at uh, coming off as worried and scared. But she is so monotone when it comes to like the the, the build up moments where she's just having conversations with um, uh, what's his name Chris the the other guy that's in the the asylum with yeah. her yeah uh, and and all all of her uh, her scenes with uh, Doctor Swan who's played by Jeremy Slate like any any scene that we're supposed to kind of feel any empathy or feel any kind of emotion towards her. It just kind of falls flat, uh, but I one hundred percent agree. Yeah. Again, it this movie has so much potential. I don't want to say wasted potential because I do. I, the reason I put the movies that I put on our on our list of of things to talk about is because I feel like every movie that's on my list, whether they're we view them as good or bad, I think are you know they deserve a shot at least a one-time view. And uh, that's that's why I really yeah. want to dig into this movie. Again, we're coming right out the fucking bat, swinging, you know, telling you folks that it's not a great movie. But I do think there's so much potential and fun <laughs> behind it that, you know, to give it a shot. Um, but enough about that. Uh, let's. We talked about Jane Doe, our, our, our quote-unquote main character. Let's talk about... Um, I guess let's let's move on to Dr. Swan, played by uh, Jeremy Slate. What do you think about him? Yeah, I um I didn't I don't I didn't recognize Jeremy Slate. Turns out he was like a huge TV actor all through the 50s, 60s, huge. 70s. I'm sure you're going to drop some knowledge about that very shortly. <laughs> um but as a as a character, um you know, I thought I thought he was a kind of an interesting mix in this and that he, you know, he's the one who kills the evil Dr. Ramsey at the beginning. So he's been like keeping this secret because as far as I know, right. They didn't really tell anybody what happened to him. They just sealed him up down in the basement and were like, let's pretend that never happened. (laughs) He's so weird. 
Yeah, but I mean, I, you know, I thought, I thought he was believable as like a, you know, a doctor, I, you know, the, the, hip, the hypnosis scenes were kind of interesting to me because I don't know how about how I feel about hypnosis just in general, but uh, I don't know. I, you know, I, I would say uh, the coolest thing that he gets to do in the movie is he gets his head cut open and a bunch of pins put in his brain. So that's probably the coolest part. Yeah. I'm I'm not going to, you know, be a complete nerd and and fucking drop every piece of uh cinema that Jeremy Slate's been in, but uh, but yeah, he was he was a, a huge western um western TV actor and for anybody that knows me really well, horror is my number one favorite genre and westerns are my second favorite. So, uh, of course, I, I saw him in a lot of western TVs growing up. Uh he was on Gunsmoke. Uh he was actually in True Grit, the original True Grit with John Wayne. So the oh, guy nice. definitely has, uh, I mean, and then uh, he was like, uh, he was like an Al fan that we talked about on the last episode. This guy was, uh, Jeremy Slate was almost in every, at least one episode of every TV show from like 1950 yeah. to like, fuck man, like 2003 or some shit like that. Like, it, it's kind of hard. I haven't even looked at his resume lately, but I'm sure it's like a fucking five miles long it's very long yeah um yeah so, so we've got the chops the dude um, knows the I, shit um i would say you know when you look at this movie i don't think i've i know cheryl uh cheryl lawson you know was a stunt woman but other than vineyard and this i'd never seen her anything else but when it comes to all the other mm -hmm. actors in this movie i have never seen them before which basically tells me that uh jeremy slate was their uh was their name person for this for this movie yeah. Um, yeah and all i can say to that is Jer jeremy slate is to <laughs> oh sorry no go ahead go ahead i was just saying jeremy slate is to this movie what christopher lee was to the howling Two. yeah absolutely uh, <laughs> but the but you know what you're absolutely right but the the biggest difference there is at least they fucking utilized christopher christopher lee to to their yeah to their fullest potential that they had they, they could i feel like that's the one thing i noticed about rewatching this movie it's always felt like you know when looking back on the movie of course it's been uh let's see i've been living in my new house for five years uh and it's been at least three so it's been a good eight years probably probably closer even to 10 since i've watched dead pit so whenever i would think about it i would always think of jeremy slate's character dr swan as like the main dude of the movie but now yeah. watching it it's like fuck this guy literally does nothing um he shows up at the beginning like you said he killed yeah. dr ramsey throws him in the dead pit uh basically spackles the the entrance you know shut and then 20 years later his hair is white and he's harboring this this secret of killing dr ramsey jane doe shows up and then, like, there's a couple scenes with him where he's hypnotizing her, trying to figure out the weird shit that's going on with her. And then he's actually not a good guy at all. Like, he's like, he realizes yeah. there's some connection between uh, Jane Doe and Dr. Ramsey, who is our evil, you know, quote unquote monster of the movie. And when he starts figuring this out, like, he's trying to, like, keep her doped up and throw basically like lock her up and throw away the key and he so he's not even our good guy so it would have been like if they're gonna do that like if you're gonna like introduce this character who right out the gate is kind of like 
you're securing him as like kind of like the hero or or like the big name of the movie. If you're going to like pull a little bit of a switcheroo like halfway through and kind of sh- like pawn him off as not so much a like really a bad guy, but like he's not doing anything to help anybody. I feel like, yeah, it's again, that's cool. You could really do something with that, but it just falls flat and it just it just comes down to like him just kind of feeling like a wasted potential of a character. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like what I was saying before, like there's a lot of there's a lot of parts in this movie that don't feel fleshed out at all. Um, They kind of just gloss over a lot of stuff. And I'm totally with you. Like, I think if they had made if that character had been featured a little bit more throughout the movie, as far as like us kind of seeing maybe his either him talking to somebody or him just having some sort of inner monologue where we like see that he's like figuring these things out or like struggling with the the secret that he's keeping or just something just something to make him more prominent in the movie because like he really didn't have anything to do other than hypnotize her and then all of a sudden at the end he just like it's like a switch flips and he's suddenly like not not the bad guy like like you said he's not the bad guy but just like this kind of out for his own selfish reasons right person all of a sudden yeah it's like i said i Usually my, my theme, every episode, I usually use the word serviceable when it comes to either the, the plot or, <laughs> or the characters or the actors. Um, but I'm not going to, I think my theme this episode is going to be potential, which this movie has, but yeah. part of it is wasted. And like, again, I think he was for sure wasted. Um, now again, even though he he is a, a very popular television actor, I don't see him costing the the production an arm and a leg. So I don't I don't think it was maybe you know because let's let's face it, a lot of movies when you get a name in, and I, I I can speak from experience. I mean I've I've worked with some names where we've had to fly them in, shoot their fucking scenes as quick as possible, and fly them the fuck back out because uh, our you know we don't have the budget mm-hmm. for it. But I don't see that being the case here um especially when literally the entire cast is made up of no names and he's like the only name and he's not even like again not not trying to knock you know not trying to knock uh jeremy slate or anything but he's not like he's a gigantic name but right he's, he's got a cool look and again you're you're establishing this guy at the very beginning is the guy who took down this evil doctor and now, twenty years later, he's still there, and then it just that's it. It's, you know what I'm saying? There's really nothing else to it. Yeah, yeah. They they kind of just he just kind of fades into the background. He just fades into the background, like for most of the movie. Like he just is there only occasionally to pop in and not. I don't know. He just yeah. I'm basically repeating everything you've already said. But yeah, he he definitely is underutilized and there was a lot of potential for his little subplot that they didn't flesh out at all right now it's funny um i with the whole hypnotizing scenes and stuff like that where you know he like we like we said he hypnotizes jane doe and uh tries to dig a little bit deeper into her psyche and trying to figure out what's going on with her and shit and trying to figure you know trying to make her remember who she is and where she came from and all that kind of shit um i couldn't help but think of uh dr neil gordon uh, from um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three, which is, of course, is the is the good. Oh guy. yeah, um, yeah, the the good guy doctor from uh, Nightmare Three, 
and uh, who it kind of comes off that way. And had they went that route, like, you know, Jeremy Slate's character really could have come off as like this, you know, a good guy. But then, like I said, it just kind of almost pulls a swerve. And once he figures out like her past or that she's linked somehow to Dr. Ramsey, he's like, nah, fuck this. But, um, you know, speak. <laughs> so, yeah, speaking, speaking of, you know, um, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. So that movie came out in 1987, which was, of course, two years before this movie. But you know what other movie came out in 1987, two years before Dead Pit? What? Hellraiser 2. And I couldn't help but just think of Hellraiser, oh. Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. Uh, the entire time I watched Dead Pit, it's, um, it's got that hazy atmosphere that I was talking about, that hazy look to the movie, uh, which, which oozes all over Hellraiser Part 2. Um, you know, we got a mental institute. We've got um, close-ups of uh, mental patients, and uh, there's uh, there was a lot of parallel, you know, creepy, creepy doctor doing experiments and shit. So there's a lot of parallels uh, with Hellraiser too. I felt, and uh, again, you got a little bit of Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three thrown into the mix. Yeah, I I love that you brought up uh, Hellraiser 2 because I fucking love Hellraiser 2. And I was wondering, I I kind of felt the same thing as I was watching this movie, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Um, But you totally nailed it. Like the similar like setting, similar lighting, like the haziness. Um, The thing that specifically jumped out to me that made me think of uh, Hellraiser just in general as a franchise is uh, towards the beginning, they show one of uh one of dr ramsey's like patients on the table and he's got part of like the back of his head like kind of split open and like it looks like it's almost like held together like held open with sutures or something right and it looked very similar it just reminded me of that one cenobite that's got like her throat like splayed open and like held open with those things right and so yeah i i also got a hellraiser 2 vibe from that yeah i um i would say it's it's kind of hard to to just stand up and point your finger and be like, oh well, they definitely had an inspiration because you got to figure this is this is the '80s we're talking about. So movies, yeah, you know, we're we're spoiled nowadays. A movie can be out in theaters and literally like two weeks later will be out, you know, streaming or on Blu-ray or whatever. You know, back in those days, a movie would come out in theaters yeah. and it would be a fucking year. Or, or sometimes more before it hit home video. So the the chances that somebody went to the Cineplex to watch Hellraiser 2 in theaters and threw together a script and a budget and made this movie, while it is likely, you know, I, you, you we can't confirm that. So, I, I you know, it's, yeah. fun, it's fun to point and, 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 like I said, compare the compare the two and, and see the like familiar familiarity of, of the two, but I'm not going to sit here and accuse the filmmakers of ripping it off by any means. Yeah. Like I think, I think that's more of a, like kind of like you were saying earlier, like that's more of just an indication of, of like the era of just like kind of everybody kind of making similar movies just cause that was the, the kind of vibe of the time and right. that they were trying to copy i don't even think they were trying to like copy hellraiser at all but i think just naturally kind of a lot of movies around that era probably had a similar look absolutely yeah look and feel all right well uh let's let's move on let's talk about um 
let's talk about our other, I guess, uh, I, you know, again, Jeremy Slate's character of Dr. Swan, who you think is going to be our, our male hero, our male um, protagonist. It actually turns out being another character by the name of Chris Myers, um, who is a, a fellow inmate yeah. at this asylum, uh, played by Stephen Gregory Foster. Katie, tell me what you thought of uh, of this character of Chris Myers. I I liked his character. I thought I thought he's pretty charming. I mean, I think that's kind of the whole point of the character is that he's so charming that he's like flirting with the the nurses and stuff, and they don't really treat him as as badly as everyone else. But um, yeah, basically, you know, for anyone who hasn't seen the movie, he is in he is in the asylum temporarily uh, because he likes to blow things up. That's just his thing. Um, and he got in a little bit of trouble, so he opted to go to this asylum instead of jail. I don't really know how that works, but I guess it worked for him. And um, yeah, so kind of throughout the movie, he's he's one of the only other patients that Jane Doe really talks to, and they kind of form a a friendship that you kind of get the feeling that maybe it's going to be like a romance thing, but they never really like fully go down that, that path. They just kind of help each other out. And um, yeah, he kind of just, he kind of just saves the day there at the end. Like he's yeah, pretty much the hero of, of the whole movie. Yeah. So um, he, he's a, a, a former demolitions expert, I believe for the army. Um and uh, I think he said something like, when "Yeah, he, that's right." When he finally got out of the army, he still had that itch of blowing shit up, so he couldn't help himself. So he blew—I don't know what he blew up. But he blew some shit up and got in trouble for it. And they kind of took it easy on him, I guess, because of his background in the army. So he was able to plead insanity and uh, get and serve, uh, quote unquote, I guess, time at the uh, at the mental institute instead of going to prison. However, what I really like any good movie, any 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 filmmaker that at least has the slightest iota of knowledge of what they're doing when making a movie, you know, one of the, one of the biggest rules is set up and payoff. And you know, the the golden rule about setups and payoffs is you set it up the first act, you pay it off in the third act. And well, again, mm-hmm. this movie's not great, but it's got some cool things about it. It's got some good potential about it. And I really like, you know, of course, it's no use for us to keep, you know, saying anything about spoilers. Uh, spoilers, that's what this show is all about. It's talking about the movie in depth. Um, so, you know, we're introduced to this character. And again, yeah, like you said, he's charming. Um, and we, we find out that he's a demolitions expert. He likes blowing shit up. That's why he's there. And that's all established in the first act. And of course, in the third act, him having the knowledge of blowing shit up is what saves the day. And I love, I love that aspect of, of his character. I love that that was set up and it was paid off. Not only is it, is it a payoff, but it's, it's um, how we, we defeat the evil of the movie. I think, I think that was a really, a really good setup. Um, as far as, as far as the yeah. character. Yeah. He, I, I would, I would say he's definitely charming. Um, there's something about him and this is just a personal thing. I don't think everyone's going to feel this way. Uh, there's something about him though, to me that almost comes off as like, you can't fully trust him. Like he's got this look, look about him that yeah. like he's, he's like one of those dudes that you would see at a bar 
and you know you'd be hanging out with him and like you'd be drinking with him all night and like halfway through the night he'll end up buying you a beer and then a little bit later you buy him a beer the next thing you know you guys are both munching on fucking peanuts and talking about you know the cowboys losing the game you know it's a real fun night guy real fucking charming but the fucking minute that you like get up from the stool and go to the bathroom he's done fucking stole your wallet like you know what i'm saying like it's some kind of <laughs> like there's like a slight shadiness to him that he's he's charming but I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave my money or my kids around him. But again, I, I, that's probably just a personal yeah. thing. Maybe it has to do with his the Neanderthal Cro-Mag forehead. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he's he's got like a slyness to him, and I think um, I don't necessarily think this is remotely accurate to like real life, but in movies, especially older movies, um, like when they portray like insane asylums, like everybody in it is, is really insane. Like, it's not just like people with like mild mental illness. It's like people like running around, like hitting the walls and just like screaming and and crying. And it's all this shit. So like when, when you have that, which is honestly a lot of this movie, like truly the, the, the asylum is understaffed and the patients are pretty much neglected. So they're just kind of like milling about everywhere and it's kind of chaotic. And then you have this guy who's really like, cool calm and collected and almost like sly seeming right and, and just the fact that he seems so lucid and then you find out that he used to be like in the military and he like knows how to blow shit up like i don't know it's just it's 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 a bad sign <laughs> so I, I totally get that <laughs> interpretation of him um yeah definitely and it's, it's funny that you, br- you bring up the mental patients like you're absolutely right. When in horror movies, especially whenever we see a uh, an insane asylum or anything like that, the the inmates, it's like they're they are nuttier than squirrel shit. Like there is there's really no like like calmness. Like there, but I will I will ha- hand it to them. The ones that they like do close ups of are fucking great. Like those actors are bringing their goddamn a game. And there's this one, there's this one loony the guy. There's like the guy at the very beginning. Oh, sorry. Sorry. We're, we're probably <laughs> the, the, the same guy thing. at the very beginning. Yeah. He's like towards the beginning and he's like screaming and crying and like looking right at the camera and like getting closer to it. Okay. Yeah. That guy. Yeah. He's really good. Um, while, while I think he's good, I like the guy that they show like directly after that. It's the guy that's, uh, he's not screaming, but he's like, Please hold my calls. Hold my phone calls. Don't you know? Don't, tell them I'm not yeah. in. Hold my calls like that. Like something about that was to me fucking awesome because I, not not that I've ever been to a fucking mental institute or know anything about it because I don't. But I feel like the best um, the best portrayals of loonies is that kind of shit. You know, because you sometimes you'll see yeah. when they're just like doing like crazy shit, reaching into their underwear and pulling out a wad of shit and eating it, you know, that kind of crap. But I like <laughs> this, like, they're, they're rambling on about like shit like that, like, hold, you know, hold my calls, hold my calls. Like, a lot of people that have mental illnesses um, that keep getting worse as time goes on, like, they'll remember like one minuscule thing from their, from their past and they like, they harp on it. And I felt like that was very realistic. Yeah. This guy maybe had a fucking, you know, worked at an office and, you know, that was something that he would say on, on you know, on, on the regular, you know, please, please hold my calls. 
And like, you know, for, for him to keep saying that over and over, like it felt real. And that actor was really good. And it's almost a shame to say this, but I feel like that guy who's in the movie for literally a one minute, I'm probably not even that probably like fucking 40 seconds is probably the best goddamn actor of the entire movie. Yeah, I, I I agree. I feel like a lot of the the background characters were the best, were some of the better actors. Um, and you know, I mean, horror and like like movies in general, they've kind of had you know not a great track record of portraying mental illness. Like it's often like mental illness equals scary. Right. But with this movie, I feel I feel like even though it does kind of toe that line a little bit. I mean, it was 1989. People weren't you know as conscious or talking about these things in the way that we do now um but i feel like it was more of a it was less like look how scary these crazy people are and more look how scary it is that like these patients are just being like neglected and like not treated well and and this is what happens when you're just like shoved into like a cage basically without any additional like treatment or care <laughs> right yeah i don't i don't want folks listening that that's not seen dead pit to think that these you know these uh, these inmate these uh, asylum inmates are going like full on simple Jack. Um, they're not. <laughs> yeah. But, but they're. I, I feel like um, like like I said, the the hold the calls guy is like a very like honest to goodness, pretty good portrayal. Um, not to say that some of the other ones aren't like you know a little bit over the top. There's also the lady that's walking around with the cigarette, and. Oh, she's great. She is fucking great. Like I, I have seen her, like in real life, like walking around outside of Walmart. You know, like that. <laughs> that person exists. Oh yeah, I mean, I've seen that lady in downtown Seattle. I'm sure. <laughs> right. Um. So I mean, I there is there is a little uh side kind of before we get to like our main villain here, there is another side character that I really want to talk about. And it's the, the nun lady, sister Claire. And I think that, I think that we have another member of the Christian Avengers on our hands. I think she needs to go join Christopher Lee in the woods uh, to explode some werewolves because this lady like, okay, so they never they don't really give her a lot of backstory and i think that's great um they don't need to but there's there's one patient that for most of the movie is just kind of a side character but eventually she becomes more prominent which i'll get to uh but you know they never say if she used to be a nun before she came to the asylum or if she just has a delusion that she is a nun right but she's got like like one of the hospital gowns like wrapped around her head as if it's like a, ner- a, a, a nun's hood. And she just walks around like flicking water from this little cup on everyone and like saying Catholic prayers. And it's just kind of like this funny little bit that they do throughout the movie. And then at one point, um, w- once the zombies kind of all get let loose and they're kind of overrunning the asylum, uh, you know, we've got Jane and Chris, they're running away from a zombie and they come around the corner and Sister Claire is there with her holy, with her quote unquote holy water. And you think the zombie's going to get her and she flicks him with the holy water and the zombie just fucking melts. Yes. And you're like, oh, holy water is canon in this universe okay and 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 th- so honestly you know i know we're talking about uh christian uh saving the day which he you know he, he kind of does because it wouldn't have happened without him but it also wouldn't have happened without sister claire because they then decide 
let's bless the entire water tower that we're going to blow up so fucking and that cool. will melt all the zombies <laughs> yeah so she's my um honorary christian avenger of this episode i i, I dig it yeah she is by i've got her right here on the list uh yeah she is by far one of the coolest fucking characters and again goes right back to what i was saying about about christian my or chris meyer whatever the fuck his name is chris christian um about the, our demolition yeah. expert uh, again with uh, your setup and payoff because you know again earlier way earlier like in the first act we are introduced to her and we think that she's just some fucking nut that thinks she's a nun when fucking lo and behold this bitch is you know what walks the line hand in hand with god himself and blesses some shit and takes down some undead creatures <laughs> it's fucking awesome and uh, she's got the lord on her side she kicks ass for the lord that's a for damn sure she Um, kicks ass for the lord for sure (laughs) (laughs) but yeah she's a great character um i feel like and again i do this every fucking time i watch a movie uh this movie could have benefited from some you know you know let's harken back to to, you brought it up so let's harken back to howling too this movie could have really benefited from putting together like setting up more characters in the asylum that had like yeah. some kind of something special about them where at the end, like it could have literally been mental patients versus zombies. And that would have been fucking cool yeah. because you've got the nun, you got the demolitions expert. You could have had, you know, some other loon, like, like he was good at something. They could have set something up where it could have like been like a little bit of a team. Yeah. Um, but I digress. It didn't happen. Yeah. But it's funny because you, you brought up uh, the the third Nightmare on Elm Street. And it would be kind of like that. It's dream like warrior. you have your cast of characters and they'd all kind of have their own thing. And then they right. the dream warriors or in this case, the the Z warriors. I don't know. They get together and they they kick a bunch of zombie ass. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you um, that you said that she takes uh, like the hospital gown and like wraps it around her head like a like a nurse's cap or or a nurse's hood. You know what I thought it was at first? I thought she like mm-hmm. had boxer shorts on her head. <laughs> okay, that's pretty funny. And I mean, I get that, but I <laughs> I just noticed like the pattern on it was the same as the pattern as the gown that they made Jane Doe wear at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, I see. She's just. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was, that's just fun. <laughs> I was like uh, like six six hams deep at that point, so I was doing a little drinking. <laughs> um, all right, so we've we've gone through our uh, our our good and not so good uh, cast of characters. Let's go ahead and round it out with uh, with the big bad himself, the main antagonist of the film, Doctor Ramsey, played by uh, Danny Gokenauer. Tell me what you thought of our evil, spooky Dr. Ramsey. Okay, I love a good, uh, creepy, evil, mad scientist type character. So I I just love the like concept of him in general. Um, I love that he's undead and they don't really explain it at all. Like he just comes back to life with like a gunshot wound in his head and his skin is all gross. And he just grows these like demon claws then he puts the like the doctor's gloves over the claws and something about that is like really unsettling to me and then he like puts the ring over the glove like he just has a great look and you know i feel like for the first like three quarters of this movie 
there's no zombies. They haven't even unleashed the dead pit yet. And so he's kind of just like this supernatural slasher type villain for a bit you know the only person that sees him is jane doe she has nightmares about him um she sees him standing outside her her window out in the lawn and by the way those are actually some some really effective creepy scenes like when she wakes up at night and he is just out there standing at the lawn uh, standing in the lawn staring at her oh michael Um, myers like so you know yeah yeah it reminded me of that so you know i think that's really cool i don't understand i don't understand what he was doing or why like they they give this brief explanation where he's like talking about like the difference between like the physical brain and and the mind and like separating that somehow but i don't they never really go into like what his motivation was or how he did anything um that being said i still thought he was a pretty effective villain um i feel like this is i'm gonna say this every episode just would have liked to seen more maybe yeah. Would have been cool if he was maybe in it more, doing more stuff. But um, overall, I thought he was a pretty effective villain. I've done life. Now I'm doing death. <laughs> what a fucking line. I wrote down that line. It's so great. So yeah, Dr. Ramsey, uh, our, our spooky evil doctor who basically takes inmates down into the cellar of the Mental Institute uses a lobotomy pick and shoves it like basically through their fucking eye into their brain and then proceeds to do whatever the fuck it is he does to their to their brain. And like you said, it's never fleshed out, no pun intended, um, of what he technically <laughs> does to them. We just know that there's some kind of experimentation and when he's done with them, he throws their bodies into a literal dead pit, into a pit of, of dead bodies. Um Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's scenes where there's some patients where he's got like uh like he carves like symbols and shit onto their bodies and we definitely get the feeling like there's some other worldly shit some supernatural shit and it's uh it comes off almost as lovecraftian and in, in, in a sense almost like lovecraft kind of yeah. weirdness to it um but like yeah, it's, it, like you said, it's never fully explained what he's doing. We just know that it, you know he shouldn't be doing it. Um, Doctor Swan catches him doing it, shoots him in the fucking head, throws him in a dead pit. Twenty years later, Jane Doe shows up at the mental institute. All hell breaks loose. The dead pit cracks open. Doctor, for whatever reason we don't know, come returns to life and starts doing shit all over again. Um, I like I like the look of the character. The glowing red eyes, um, while can come off as cheesy, I kind of felt came off kind of cool in this movie. Um, because they're they are literally like after effect, you know, well eight in the by nineteen eighty standards, uh after effect. Um, yeah. of the of the red glowing eyes and a lot of movies that looks fucking horrendous but something about it in this movie really worked for that character <laughs> um and like you said like the him having like the long sharp claws and then slipping on the latex gloves over top of that um well it was kind of a cool little touch I love it um i really the the actor um who has never been in anything bef- since or prior uh this was his one and only movie uh, he is really over the fucking top uh, at the very beginning. 
right before Dr. Swan puts a bullet in his fucking head. He's so like over the top and he's doing like the all like exaggerated, like wide eyed stare. And uh, he, he yes. play, he's playing like the typical like drive in cheesy mad scientist, you know, and I like it. It's so hammy. It's like it's so hammy. I want to fucking throw it on a slice yes. of bread with some cheese. It's it's really good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like. As, as good and hammy and cheesy as much as I ate it up when, you know, pre undead, um, when he does return back to life, like he's, he's no more than, you know, just creepy dude watching from outside the window. And he never really gets to shine on uh, anymore in the film. There's a couple scenes where he says some, you know, says some shit, but I don't feel like he ever really captures that same mood as he did in the first like fucking 10 minutes of the movie, which which, sorry to keep rambling, I want to bring this up. <laughs> I want to bring this up for for the people that have not seen this movie, and I want to bring it up, to, of course, to you, Katie, because we, we haven't talked about this. Everything we need to know about this fucking movie, everything, okay, the setup of who he is, what he does, getting shot in the head, thrown into the dead pit, everything, all takes place in the opening fucking credits of this movie. And it is the longest, yeah. most drawn out opening credits I have ever fucking seen. It was literally like 10 minutes long. <laughs> and it's so fucking funny because it'll be like. I had blocked that out. <laughs> it's like, it's like Dead Pit, a, a Brit Leonard film, you know, white words over a black screen. And then it cuts to Dr. Ramsey doing some spooky shit. Then it'll cut to starring Cheryl Lawson and then it'll cut back to him doing some creepy shit and then like cuts to it like and just keeps doing this over and over and over again until the next thing you know by the time it says directed by Brett Leonard like you look at the fucking clock and 15 minutes has gone by it's insane <laughs> how long yeah they really I think it's like they were attempting to build they were like attempting to build tension but it just kind of dragged it out which I think happens a lot in this movie um, but I did yeah. have an interesting thought related to what you were saying about his personality, like once he comes back from the dead. And okay, this is just a theory, and this is probably giving way more credit to the filmmakers than they might deserve for this. But I just wonder. So, okay, so he's doing a bunch of lobotomies, which for people who don't know what that is, um, it was basically a surgical operation that they still do sometimes, but only in very extreme situations. But they were just handing them out like candy all through the first half of the 19th century. Right. And it, it basically is they, without getting too into like biology and, and anatomy, they just do some shit to the prefrontal lobe of your brain. And they like cut part of it off from the rest of your brain, supposedly to cure mental illness, quote unquote. But most of the time it just made people completely void of personality and like feeling and drive to do anything. So mm -hmm. um, the way that they would do it, they they would take like literally the way he kills people in the movie he, they would take an ice pick and they'd shove it like under your eyelid into your brain and just scramble things around a little bit and more or less and and totally make you into a zombie so i say all that to say this he gets shot in the head in the first part in the movie like right around the same part where i'm pretty sure like they'd be digging around with the ice pick during a lobotomy so i mean it's it's possible that maybe when he comes back to life, like he, he's lost part of his personality because his brain is damaged. 
that's a fan theory more than an actual filmmaking theory, but I don't know. I thought it was interesting. <laughs> I get what you're saying. I get it. I like it, but I don't, I don't think that they, I don't think it's true. <laughs> I don't think they, they, they put that much thought into it. Sadly. Um, I don't think so either. But, you know, um, but I do think it's an interesting testament to how like, like evil and unethical that this doctor was because the very last, like, public lobotomy as far as i know was like in 1967 sometime in the 60s they kind of did one of the last uh lobotomies at least that was like publicized and so by 1969 i'm pretty sure it had started to kind of fall out of vogue and right. he was just doing them in the basement <laughs> <laughs> bargain basement lobotomy come on down get your lobotomy today <laughs> um so let's uh let's you know you were talking about like maybe possibly that that's what they were thinking of doing since he got shot in the forehead. Um, like I said, I don't think that's think that's, you know, they thought that far ahead, but since we're on the subject of, of the team behind the cameras, let's go ahead and start talking about um, the, the yes. director. Let's, let's talk about him first. Uh, Brett Leonard. Um, yes. It's, I don't, I don't do research. Well, after watching these movies, I should, I know a little bit. I should, um however i think you know that's exactly i'll leave it up to you the only things i know of brett leonard is, <laughs> is this um i he has done some movies that i have really liked in the past um now again this has been close to probably 10 years since i had last watched dead pit and i used to you know when i was younger thought this movie was great and i just i just revisited it and i was like ah okay maybe i was wrong and these other movies I'm about to mention of his are other movies that I have not seen in 10 plus years. So I don't know if maybe it's the same thing, but I will say just, just go on record to say that these are movies that I like. Don't know if I still do. I'll have to revisit them. But as of now, uh, I do know that he did uh, a movie called Hideaway, which is a really, again, I, from what I remember is a really fucking good movie. Um, and then he did a movie that I used to fucking just absolutely love. And I watched it so many times in in the late nineties um, is virtuosity, which was one of Denzel Washington and Russell oh. Crowe's first movies. And it is so goddamn good. And I have not, well, again, it's been 10 plus years since I've watched it and I'm sure it is dated as fuck now because it deals with like, you know, the whole like virtual reality and shit like that. It's basically this, oh, basically yeah. Russell Crowe is a serial killer that is like created I don't know how the best way to describe it. He's basically like created like as a virtual person, but it gets made into like comes into real life. Um, and Russell Crowe is so deliciously over the goddamn top that it's ridiculous. He, he's, he's borderline ridiculous, but it's so good. And it's the first movie that I remember seeing Denzel Washington in. So I need to revisit it, but I will tell you now that you should probably also see uh, virtuosity. Um, but piggybacking off of the whole virtual movement, um, Brett Leonard did another movie that I really love, uh, which is uh, uh, The Lawnmower Man, starring Jeff Fahey and Pierce Brosnan. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love that fucking movie. Matter of fact, um, it was like maybe two or three years ago. My friend Faye, who uh, who's basically the runs the Psycho Cinema Film Group at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia. Um, Faye had texted me one day and said, hey, they've got this. Um, this uh, lawnmower man, uh, I think it was like a duffel bag at this thrift shop in Winchester. 
and if you folks don't know, um, I don't think they do it as much as they used to, but uh, a lot in like the 80s, 90s, uh, early and mid 2000s, uh, when a new, uh, I mean, I'm sure they did it for non-horror movies, but when like new horror and sci-fi movies would come out, the production companies would always put out like weird, like memorabilia things like sunglasses with like the movie's name on them. Uh, shit like that. It wasn't always just t-shirts, lanyards, um, you know, like little rubber, uh, like pocket change holders, like it's stuff like that with like the movie's name on it. Yeah. But she had hit me up. She was like, Hey, there's a lawnmower man duffel bag at this thrift store. Cause she knew I liked that movie. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to get that for my collection. That's kind of cool. So I rolled down to this fucking thrift store and sure enough, there's this badass lawnmower man, uh, duffel bag and I'm getting ready, getting ready to grab it. We also have an original 1984 Terminator sunglasses, right? From the original movie that looks just like the Whoa. one that Arnold wore and it says Terminator on the sides. Shit like they had a bunch of shit like that. But I picked up that goddamn duffel bag and you know what? It was $500. You know what I did with that? I put it right back down. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, sorry to yeah, go off. I, on this. Uh, you know. Yeah. Sorry to go off on this tangent about Lawnmower Man. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, yes, Brett Leonard did Lawnmower Man, which um, which I will throw out. Uh, Jeremy Slate, who plays Dr. Swan, is also in Lawnmower Man. Not a huge part, but he's in it. Yeah, I noticed a couple of people, of course, now I can't remember the names at all, but I think a couple of people in this cast, like, even though they weren't in a whole lot, like, I'm pretty sure... Um, I'm pretty sure even like Cheryl Lawson was in a, not in Lawnmower Man, but was in a few of his movies, Brett Leonard's movies, like later on. So I guess he stayed in touch with some of these people, even if they didn't have like particularly super active Hollywood careers. So I think Brett Leonard kind of, kind of, kind of like me, like you kind of work with uh, a core group of people that you like working with and you kind of like try to work with them again on every project. But Yeah. But I mean, yeah, he's definitely known. Um, I would say that's probably I mean, that was the one I've not I've not seen that movie, honestly. But um, I, I do remember I had the because it's written by Stephen King. And there's a short story in one of his books called uh, Night Shift. And the short story is called Lawnmower Man. But I don't think the story and I've read that, but I don't think the story of that is anything like the movie at all. So I've got the story for the you. Movie, but that was definitely the Oh, let's hear it. <laughs> I know all about this. So, um, again, I'm, I'm I don't I'm not pulling this shit up to look at it. So I might be wrong on on some of this, but I'm pretty sure that the uh, the producers of Lawnmower Man and maybe the production house or whatever bought the rights uh, to Stephen King's story, The Lawnmower Man, and. Yeah. So the story, because I'm a huge Stephen King fucking fan, um, the original story, it would be kind of hard to like pull, you know, stretch it out into a full length movie, but it would make for a fucking disgustingly creepy short film. Anyway, uh, it's, it's about this like overweight dude who is a lawnmower man who gets hired to mow people's yards. And what he does is he's got a lawnmower that like goes like drives by itself. And he strips off all of his clothing, right? He's like butt naked, this fat, sweaty, naked guy. And while the mower mows, he crawls behind the mower and eats the fucking grass, like the like the cut grass. What the hell? Yeah. So that's that. Um, and this is the sh- this is in the story. This is a short story. Or this, this is, is a movie. King story. Yes. So 
Uh, the producer- okay, because I like I said, I've read that. I just blocked it. It's been like a, ten years since I've read it, so I'd forgotten that completely. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so the producers or whatever they they bought the rights to to the story because let's 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 get it you know let's get it straight here. Stephen King adaptations were a goddamn dime a dozen from like 1985 or yeah. 1983 to like 93. You know, like there's a good ten year fucking span. Of you, there, there was like a Stephen King horror movie coming out like every fucking month. Um, so everybody was trying to buy up as whatever rights they could to whatever stories they could to get a movie out there, um, because that's brand name value. Like that, Stephen King's name on your movie is like guaranteed asses and seats, and and in those days. So anyway, yes. the, the producers buy the rights to the Lawnmower Man, and uh, the script bears little to zero <laughs> fucking resemblance to the actual story. Um, I think the only fucking thing that is the same is there's, uh, I think the Jeff Fahey's character's name is Job. Uh, I think is the character's name. Like uh, he's, uh, he's um, mentally challenged and he's good at tinkering with, with, with stuff. And he's got like a lawnmower that he makes move, I think. Or no, I take it back. He gets he makes the lawnmower move with his telepathic powers that he gets later on in the movie. Anyway, long story short, they wow. they made such a gigantic, huge departure from the story. And when they started advertising for the movie, it was called Stephen King's Lawnmower Man. And I think I'm correct in that Stephen King tried to sue them, or if he didn't try to sue them, he at least caused a stink. Because it was nothing at all like his story and wanted his name taken off of it. So uh, the movie was finally released as just The Lawnmower Man. But if you find early, early, early teaser trailers, you can even find like uh, if you can find like ads and magazines from that and from that day, uh, it would say Stephen King's The Lawnmower Man. And then like later ads and, and of course, tra- later trailers, I think they had scrapped his name because he was so upset that they, they changed it completely. And that's, that's, I kind of want to see that now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't blame him for being frustrated. That would be really annoying. They just completely took his story and trashed it. Um, but I mean, it sounds like some people still like the, the movie. Yeah. I like Yeah. That's the thing. I like the movie. Um, it's just not, again, it's not nothing like the book, but you know, you got to figure when that movie came out, I was like, fuck, like 10, 12, somewhere around there. Yeah. I had not read the story yet, so I didn't have anything to base it off of. Uh, so I liked the movie because I wasn't comparing it to anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so just bringing it back to, to Brett Leonard here, I do know a tiny bit of, about him. Um, so I did want to just shout out really quick. So a lot of this behind the scenes info I just found through various like blogs and, and reviews and stuff. But some of the just general little like a couple of these little tidbits uh, that I got from the movie, I, I listened to an episode of, of Gruesome Magazine's podcast uh, called Decades of Horror. And they actually do an episode about Dead Pit where they interview Ed Martinez, who did the special effects. So they just kind of talk to him about his experience working on the movie. Um, but anyway, back to Brett Leonard. Uh, so this was his first feature, which explains a lot. <laughs> and <laughs> supposedly supposedly this is the story behind it 
So he was, you know, he was trying to, to get into movies. He and his friend had teamed up for a Super 8 feature called Serious Problem, uh, which was never finished. And then, uh, you know, he tried to get another movie going and it fell through at the last minute. And so eventually a producer hired him to shoot action scenes for a film that was called Deadlock. Um, I don't even know if that even came out or became a thing, but he shot these action scenes for it. And the producer was so impressed that he offered to set him up with like a hundred thousand dollars and of a budget to shoot a 35 millimeter horror movie using the same location uh, where they were filming Deadlock. I guess it was at the same hospital in Santa Clara. So when he agreed to give him this money, he was like, do you have a script ready? And Brett Leonard was like, yeah, yeah, we've got a script ready. And um, he didn't have a script ready. So he and his writing partner went home and they wrote this screenplay in either one week or three weeks. I've heard, I've seen both of those reports. Either way, they wrote it in less than a month. And that explains a lot. Wow. <laughs> Well, yep, yeah, that, that kind of yeah. so, does explain it. So, yeah, so, like, all the stuff that I feel like, you know, I feel like even he would probably say that he wished he would have fleshed out some of these plot points that we've talked about earlier in the show because he just didn't have time to write it. It was kind of like, we're just going to give you money. You got to just, like, bang this movie out real quick and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am on to the next one. Um, so I, I, I did, I couldn't find any info on like how long it took them to actually shoot this. Um, but you know, as far as I, as far as I know, it was a pretty normal production. It kind of seems like everybody had overall had a pretty good time making it. Um, not nearly as much like drama or anything like with popcorn or anything like that. Um, so, so yeah, I, I don't know. That's Brett Leonard. Nice. Well, yeah, that like you said, that explains a whole hell of a lot. Um, why some things maybe were very good potential, because um, maybe they had some really good ideas. Yeah, they just didn't flesh them out enough. Mm-hmm. And then I did have just one little tidbit about where they shot it. Um, I didn't catch the name of it, but it, it it is it was an actual asylum in Santa Clara, California, at one point, and it's it's been around since like the late eighteen hundreds. So they shot most of the external and internal shots here, um, except for the actual room with the dead pit that was like just in a warehouse somewhere. Right. Um, but the story behind this asylum is that in there in 1906 there was this huge earthquake of in San Francisco, and the asylum basically was destroyed, like it just collapsed, and it was filled with patients. So like a ton of people died, and they just had to like dig, they just had to like make a mass grave and put like hundreds of bodies in it. So like I'm pretty sure that place is haunted. <laughs> wow. Yeah, like so so I think partially that is what inspired the script because they were already shooting at this place for this like action movie that he was working on. So he kind of already was getting the story behind that and I think that's what partially inspired uh the, the script when he didn't have a lot of time to brainstorm ideas. I mean, what whatever whatever works, you know, fucking go with it. That's uh definitely some good mm-hmm. inspiration for sure. Yeah. 
And then, you know, other than that, I I honestly couldn't find a lot of information online about this movie. Um, I did find out that there was a, you know, a DVD slash Blu-ray, you know, release in, within the past few years that does have some interviews with Brett Leonard and um, and Cheryl Cheryl Lawson and some of the other cast in it. So I unfortunately didn't get a chance to get my hands on that before recording this episode. But I think, you know, if you're if you like this movie and you're interested in, in knowing more about some of the perspectives of the people who made it, um, then I would check out. I would look up that Blu-ray. Hell yeah. Um, well, why don't we uh, why don't we hop on over and let's let's talk a little bit about all of the gooey brain ripping jello brain melting raccoon eyed zombie bloody gushy effects of the dead pit yeah i think that is really what shines in this movie um like you you've used all the adjectives that i could use to describe it it's definitely a goopy gooey uh slimy kind of movie and you know i i think all of the stuff um, I mentioned at, like earlier in the episode, like there's kind of like people's heads are like kind of splayed open with their like skin peeled back and, and their skull cut open and you can see see their brain. Like there's a lot of that that looks really cool. But I really think the coolest part is towards the end when all the zombies get melted and when uh, the evil doctor himself gets melted and it's like it's this long drawn out like goopy just like fake head slowly like getting like sucked into itself it, yeah. it's so awesome i love it yeah the the meltings are very very cool um not the best meltings that i've ever seen but they are they are cool and they are very it's welcomed true. and a and a somewhat i hate to say bland um effects driven movie because they're like there's you know other than like the first 10 minutes most of the bulk of the movie isn't really anything going on story-wise or effects-wise but mm-hmm. thankfully, you know, they they pull out all the stops in the last about 15 minutes or so. Um, yeah, like the brain ripping scenes are goofy, but fun. Um, the jello looking brains, you know, when they're walking around holding like the jello brains. It's <laughs> straight up jello. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I love all that kind of shit. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, it's just like who I am, like the, the older style effects like that. Like even like the worst effects yeah. are endearing and, and fun. Um, the only thing that really, that really just kind of bums me out and it always has is, uh, the actual zombies themselves. Like I remember, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I remember vividly as a kid, um, walking into the video express, not our, not our podcast, but our podcast namesake, which was my favorite video store, uh, growing up. Uh, it was a mom and pop video store here in here in Luray, my hometown. And I remember walking into the Video Express and, you know, always just eyeballing and, and ogling uh, all the VHS uh, horror movie covers because, fuck, man, back then the VHS covers were just uh, chef's kiss. Um, but the Dead Pit had yes. a fucking fantastic cover. And it was part of a trend um, in those days. Like, I would say, like, you know, from like 87 to like, like mid 90s, um, if your movie wasn't the greatest horror movie in the world, they they went a little extra. They went a little hard on the VHS covers. And um, I remember Imperial Home Entertainment um, released uh, Dead Pit, another movie called Metamorphosis, and uh, Black Roses, which is the, 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 the Mickle Thor movie. 
or Michael Thor movie. And um, they all had like the uh, the 3D like embossed like covers. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, but like the images, yeah, on, yeah. On, the images on the front front of the VHS box were like raised so that you could feel them. And uh, I remember uh, those three specifically had light up eye features. So uh, the Dead Pit cover it had like this gnarly looking <sighs> zombie crawling out of uh, out of the Dead Pit out of the hole, and you would press a button on the VHS box, and his fucking eyes would light up. And that was so goddamn so cool. cool. And, and all it was was a goddamn gimmick to to get you to either fucking rent the movie or, of course, buy the movie back in that in those days. Um, and then you mm-hmm. you would take that movie home. And you'd be like, fuck yeah, that thing on the cover is amazing. I've got it. I can't wait to see it. And then what you're actually shown is some pasty faced raccoon eyed zombies. Like it's like somebody just took some fucking white, white and blue and gray grease paint, smeared it on these motherfuckers, took like some black shoe polish, made a giant circle around their eyes and said, giddy up, get on out there. And it's so yeah. There's There's a couple zombies here and there that are um, my favorite word serviceable um, but they do not live up to the hype that that fucking VHS cover uh, promised you yeah I feel the same they were you know a little lackluster and I think they that really drove in the feeling of like oh this is just like a haunted house attraction like these yeah. don't seem like real zombies um, but I, I love that you brought up the the gimmicky VHS cover um, uh, you know apparently that really helped the sales like it actually did pretty decent I mean I don't have the exact numbers but according to like IMDB and whatnot like it seemed to do pretty well solely because of that gimmick right and it just makes me think I think it's really cool how um, you know, how we kind of adapted when home video became a thing because, you know, we were talking about during the popcorn episode in like, I believe like the 50s and 60s, they were doing all these gimmicks in the movie theater with like the tingler and like they'd have like props coming down, swinging down through the through the auditorium or like smells that they'd pipe in, just like stuff like that um, right. to, you know, to make people feel more immersed or just to get people in the seats because even if the movie's not good it's like this whole experience and then you know you get home video now and they're like how do we get people to watch my random movie and it i love that it just was this whole trend of, of vhs tapes having really goofy kooky it was, uh, uh, gimmicks to I the know, covers know, this sounds like such a uh not not really a douchey thing to say but like i it makes me like drafts home the fact that it makes me sound even older like when I can literally say those were the days, like, like, and they seriously were, man, like yeah. walking into a video store and in, in the eighties and nineties, like was like fucking candy land because, um, that, you know, sometimes like I'll run into people like for the first, like people that I've known online for like, you know, years, um, I'll finally run into them like in person or whatever. And we'll shoot the shit and talk about horror movies. And they're like, how do you know so fucking much about, about these movies? And especially like ones that we talk about on the show, like Dead Pit and and uh, Curse to the Bite. Like I'm an only child, and while <laughs> you know, while while other kids were out fucking playing and doing shit, my fat ass was sitting at home eating a can of fucking Ninja Turtle Spaghettios <laughs> and watching watching these horror movies on VHS. And um, it, it, I never will forget. And I, I don't think I've told this story yet, and I think it's a fun story to tell because again, we're talking about our namesake you know, video express, which was my, my hometown video store. Um, the reason that I had to name our show 
after after that video store um is because like from like god dude like from like the age of like seven on up until they closed their doors i rented from them almost every fucking week and uh i never will forget like when i that summer i turned 16 because my birthday falls in august so I'm kind of like the weird kid in school that's like a little bit older than some other ones because of where my birthday falls. <laughs> yeah. But um, I was 16 and my best friend at the time, Joe, Joe Snyder, we would um, every Friday, he would either spend a night at my house or I would spend a night at his house. And we would go to Video Express and rent two horror movies to watch that night because Saturday nights I was home at, you know, by myself watching Joe Bob. So I was like literally watching two horror movies Friday night and then whatever Joe Bob was showing Saturday night. But uh, I'm, tr- I'm going to try to make this a little bit shorter. But uh, I never will forget uh, the summer that I turned 16. I rolled up in Video Express and Steve, who was the guy that ran uh, the ran the store. I walked up to the counter and I threw down two movies. I forget what they were. It was probably like Halloween, Halloween three and like Friday 13th part seven, some shit like that. And uh, he was like, you know what? You've been coming in here every week for like 10 years. He's like, you're one of my best customers and uh, you're always you're running hard movies. He's like, I'll make you a deal. You're always running the same fucking shit. Why don't you like branch out and like rent some shit that you've never watched before? He said, I'll make you a deal from now on. You rent one, you get another one for free. And I was like, fuck yeah, this is amazing. Okay. So, um, I don't know if you, if you, you probably never saw uh, video express, it's actually where movie stars moved into. Um, but remember, like, where the naughty... Okay, so then I, I have a story tangential to that. Then. All right, well, do you, you remember the After. naughty section of uh, Movie Stars? Yeah. Okay, well, there, well yeah. There, there was no wall there. There was no naughty section. So, the, like, you would walk into Video Express, and, like, it was just, like, from the front of the store, like, all the way to the back. Like, that's, that's how big that place was. And he had, like, every fucking movie ever made on VHS. So his horror selection was outrageous. So when he when he promised me rent one, get another one for free, I started in the A's. I went alphabetically. And every Friday. Oh, wow. Yeah. Every Friday from the age of 16 to like uh, like 20, something like that. Every Friday I rented two fucking movies and I made my way like to the T's or some shit like that before he shut down. But I rented some of the most God awful shit <laughs> that I have ever seen. But if not for him, I would not have the knowledge that I have today. And if not for Video Express, I would not I'd not seen those movies because you know, what's weird is some of those movies um, are still not available to this day. They're out of print. And, uh, you know, companies like like Severin and, and Vinegar Syndrome are slowly finding the rights to these movies and bringing them, you know, on Blu-ray for people to see. But a lot of these movies that I watched uh, at that early age more weird random shit that uh, I have not seen since. And, uh, you know, the dead pit is, is I'm kind of circling back around, but the dead pit, it goes to show you that was one of the movies that I saw that fucking cover. I had to rent it. And that was one of the ones that I rented when I, when I got to the, the D's of, of the rental alphabet. <laughs> but, um, it was a, it was a good time to be alive because, even the worst fucking movies that I rented had some of the most amazing covers. And it's definitely an art that I feel yeah. like lost nowadays. 
Um, except for when you get to companies, like I said, like Vinegar Syndrome that puts out like special diff- uh, special edition slip covers that has either the retro art or some like new great art. But um, I don't feel like we'll ever get back to those days of just walking into a store, knowing not a goddamn thing about this cool looking movie and just running it. And it's, it's sad. Yeah, I, you know, I, I definitely envy that experience at, at the Video Express because when I lived in Luray, um, like you just said, it had, it had then become a movie stars. So when I was growing up going to the video store in the 90s, you know, it was almost nine, nine times out of 10, it was some kind of chain like movie stars or Blockbuster. I think movie stars is my main one. But, you know, I... I, and I went in there every week and would get stuff with my parents, but like the selection just wasn't the same. Right. And it's kind of just gotten worse, you know, especially even with streaming, like there's a billion movies that I, that you've never even heard of, like on all these different streaming services. But then some of these movies um, that we've done for the podcast, like I have such a hard time finding anywhere. And so it's really kind of a, a it's a really good reason for people to ha- to keep physical media if they have the space and the means to keep it because if the streaming service decides that they don't want it anymore or if they can't get the rights to it for whatever reason then it's just gone forever right and so um yeah i think i think a lot of you kind of mentioned earlier like a lot of horror fans might not have this kind of like encyclopedic knowledge and i think and i mean myself included and i think it's because the selection of of what we had to watch you know people of a certain age and younger you know, it was limited compared to, you know, the, the eighties and the yeah. early to mid nineties. Yeah. Your, your generation and younger, um, for lack of a better term, were spoon fed what, what you could watch. Um, you know, like, like movie yeah. stars was lined up with the, with the latest and greatest of what was out now. And when you went to the horror selection where it was like your older shit, like it was such a crummy, crummy selection. And, you know, me growing up, like I, there was not a movie I couldn't get my hands on at the, at that time. Um, and it's weird because we, yeah. we basically, we went through a phase of, I guess, like consolidating and weeding things out that people deemed not good. And now the way media has worked is now we've kind of flipped back around and now we're craving the things that people at one point deemed shitty. And now we're trying to gobble up as much shit as as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I still, you know, even though it was movie stars and and the, 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 the roster was limited in comparison, you know, I still have a ton of nostalgia of just going and hanging out in the horror aisle. Cause like sometimes I'd just be with my parents and they'd be picking out whatever we were going to watch that weekend. And I didn't really pick anything out for myself, but I would just always gravitate to the horror section and just look at the, the art. So, you know, I think, I think cover cover art is a thing that I hope stays alive. I mean, I hope I, I have seen a lot of really cool modern horror posters um, and just like digital art that they use online. So I'm, I'm glad that that tradition has continued. But like, I don't know, nothing compares to just like walking through the aisle and seeing the cover and being like, what the hell is this about? And right. like maybe even having nightmares about just something you saw on a cover of a movie you've never even seen. Like that's totally happened to me. <laughs> It's funny because uh, I have a movie um, and I don't think I've put it on our list of, of future episodes, but I have a movie on VHS, pristine VHS. It's still got the cellophane plastic over it. And all I did was was like slit the bottom plastic so I could like actually remove the tape to watch it. But anyway, it's called The Radioactive Reporter. 
and um, it, it's a movie that I own, and I have not seen it streaming. I've not seen it anywhere, and it's just like one of those weird, wacko movies that I had on VHS that I just found out as of uh, like three or four days ago. Uh, somebody on Instagram, I follow a lot of VHS groups on Instagram. Somebody had posted a copy of it, and it was like in a really shitty condition. Uh, was called a cut box, where like the video rental store or whatever at the time had literally cut the front of the box off and slipped it in, in, into a clamshell case. Um, but anyway, so this this person yeah. had the radioactive reporter VHS and a rough shape cut box, and like they wanted three hundred dollars for it, and I'm like what and sure enough i hop on ebay and there's only like one copy in existence on ebay and that's going for 300 dollars. and i like i roll over to my fucking vhs collection and i pull it out i'm looking at this fucking pristine copy i'm like i've got like 500 dollars worth of a fucking vhs in my hands right now this is the weirdest shit ever that's crazy yeah and it's just so weird because you know that's like I, that's that's where we're at nowadays. Like, evidently, the radioactive reporter is yeah. a movie that's uh, lost in time and nobody's put it out yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I love, you know, I love the convenience of streaming. Um, I feel like I've got to see a lot of movies that maybe I wouldn't have found before, so especially movies from outside of America. Um, but other than that, I would say, you know, there's pros and cons to everything. And, you know, we've clearly just pointed out some of the cons of, of that because there's just a lot of movies that are going to be gone forever so hopefully more places like like vinegar syndrome and you know like you were saying you know keep keep finding stuff to preserve and and restore um but i did have another little thing about brett leonard that i just remembered that i wanted to say just to bring it back to the dead pit um so throughout his career he did some movies he has a movie that i've not seen from like 2005 called feed and the synopsis was just too hilarious. Like I had to just say, it's about a serial killer that like force feeds women until they die. He just oh, wow. feeds them food until they, it's kind of like the fucking, like in seven, like that one guy. Yeah, the gluttony guy. <laughs> and there's a whole movie about it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What, 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 um, but the, feed? the, it's called feed. Yeah. F E E D. Um, but you know, we were talking before we kind of went off on our, our video express tangent, which I'm so glad that you shared that story. That's a great story. Um, we were talking about some of the special effects in the dead pit. And I think one of the coolest parts for me is when uh, the when Dr. Swan gets it, like gets the pins in his brain. Right. Um, so for those of you who haven't seen it, there's, a, a, you know, at one point um, he goes to confront Dr. Ramsey and. I don't even remember exactly how it happens, but long story short, he ends up on his table, um, overwhelmed by by the zombies, and uh, Dr. Ramsey proceeds to cut the top of his head off and put a bunch of pins in his brain to scramble him up and make him switch from laughing to crying to screaming in like two seconds. And so they have this great, like, pretty realistic, like, fake brain on top of his head with all these pins sticking out of it. And... I don't know, something about it is just really kind of disturbing. Um, I think it's the fact that his character is still like awake and alive and conscious and is like reacting to these just pins moving around in his brain. Right. And in fact, in the that scene was cut from the American release for being too graphic. Really? 
Yeah, uh, they. I guess I don't know. It, it, it was only put back in when uh, what was it? Code Red, Code Red did the did the DVD restoration, um, and he has a great line reading during that uh, during that scene where he goes, "Don't cut my brain, <laughs> don't cut my brain." The <laughs> dude. So yeah, that's just so good. Ah, uh, so the line readings. Since you bring it up. Um, this this kind of coincides a little bit of a segue with the the effects. Um, let, let's cut right to the ending of this movie. So we've established mm-hmm. that our uh, our Looney our Looney Tune nun um, can destroy our dead pit army of zombies um, with holy water. Very weird. I actually like it. I think it's it's different. It's cool that these uh, these undead creatures are. It you know, like satanic or something. So they, they can be melted. They literally are melted with holy water. So the, again, the whole setup and payoff was, was beautiful that, that she blesses the water tower while our demolition expert goes up there to rig explosives to it, to blow up the fucking water tower. So the entire insi- asylum can be doused and, and fucking a river of holy water. And melt every motherfucker in its in its path. It's beautiful. It's a great payoff. It's a great way to take out the uh, the zombies and and the bad guys. But that goddamn line reading at the very end, when it is revealed that Jane Doe is in fact Doctor Ramsey's daughter, her fucking line reading when she (laughs) she finds out that that's her when he comes at her and she goes, "Daddy." I about shit myself with laughter. <laughs> it is so, it's so good. It's so bad. I mean, it, it's kind of the same way as her line reading, at, like the very first scene we see her in where she's like, my memories were taken from me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's unfortunate that you guys listening to us cannot see us right now. Cause Katie literally the way she said that and like her, her, her look, was just as good, if not better, than than the actual uh, than the actual character. So, yeah, I wish you guys could have seen that. Yeah, well, you know, Brett Leonard, if you're listening and you're trying to remake Dead Pit, uh, I, uh, call me. <laughs> God, you know, I feel like I keep, I've I've springing on some tangents tonight. Uh, you know, talking about fucking VHS covers and video store memories and and all that kind of shit. Um. <laughs> And I'm gonna I'm gonna try not to go off on a on a long breathy one on you know on this, but I you bring up remakes, and um, I, I've said before in the past that uh, I'm a huge advocate for remakes. I like remakes because I'm not one of those people like yeah. yeah while I like I do hold a lot of original horror movies near and dear to my heart. Like somebody remakes it, you're not fucking destroying the original one, so it doesn't matter to me. Like cool man. Like yeah. it's not a good remake. Cool, that movie sucked. I still got the original one. Or, cool man, this remake was awesome. Now I like both of them. Like you know, it's who gives a fuck? The original, the original survives. But uh, yeah. speaking of remakes, this movie could be such a good fucking remake. I think this movie would would uh, yeah. for sure. Like it, it would be a, a great. Uh, What's the word I want to use? I need to stop drinking for these shows. Um, 
Anyway, it, it would be great. It would be great for the dead. I'm going to keep that in. Fuck it. Uh, it would be great for the dead uh, <laughs> to get a fucking remake because, yeah, again, all the potential, they could add more onto it. They could flesh it out more. You know, and, and and for your sake, Katie, maybe get some more Christian Avengers rolling up in that bitch and, and melting some more zombies. Absolutely. We need to add another one to the team. Um, I, I, w- I love that idea. I also kind of love remakes. I mean, there's obviously some really bad ones, but like that's just going to happen. Right. Like, I don't know why people get so like personally offended when something they like gets remade, because that just means that people like it enough that they think like younger people are going to like it. And, you know, I feel like I, like you said, I don't, I don't think it ever takes, it doesn't take away from the original. It either adds to it or it just fades into obscurity because right. it's bad. <laughs> like I don't, I, I think it's a, it's always interesting to see, you know, new ways people tell the same story. Right. Like I think about like, like black Christmas has like three different versions right. and they're all pretty Choose different. Your own adventure um, point. Like pretty seriously like especially when you get to 2019 like it's a total different departure but like i i really i like all of them for different reasons um so i yeah not to get too deep into that rabbit hole but i'm (laughs) i'm pro remakes (laughs) yeah you you know like let's not get it twisted we we know for a fact that 95 maybe even 97 percent of of these horror remakes, they're they're made for for cash grabs. They they know they've got a bankable, yeah. familiar name, and then people are going to go see it, whether whether to to genuinely see it out of curiosity or genuinely see it because they know it's going to suck, so they can bitch about it. But you know, it's, it's I've always said the same thing about remakes: you can bitch, you can whine, and you can cry about it all you want to. You know, you're still going to go see that motherfucker. And yes, exactly. And and here's the thing, like. I, a lot of people get actually like get tired and, and pissed off at me for because I, I preach this a lot. I preach the remake thing a lot. I've preached this remake thing in front of a, a large crowd um, at the Alamo Draft House. They uh, I was a sponsor at uh, one of the Alamo's events and they had me as a special guest where I got up and talked in front of a crowd. And just like tonight, I got up in front of them drunk and I rambled about how <laughs> people need to stop bitching about remakes. But um but, you know, the reason I'm, I'm, I am the way I am is because I was one of those people originally. I never will forget in 2000 and uh, what was it? 2003, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Like Texas Chainsaw mm-hmm. Massacre, the original is one of my top five favorite horror movies of all fucking time. I think it's one of the most like yeah, genuinely like brilliant movies. And when they announced the remake, I was like, fuck this. Fuck that. How dare they? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, of course, my ass was there opening night to see it in theaters. Of course, and it blew my fucking mind. Um, not the good old Adam Taylor about that it. Movie. That remake is so good. It's so fucking good, and <laughs> I, I think to this day it's still one of the one of the best remakes. Um, but you know, we talked about absolutely. You know, we talked about today is the anniversary of uh, of uh, the the two thousand and six uh, Hills Have Eyes. That movie, this might, yeah. I don't know if this, is a, this might be a hot take, but that is a remake that is better than the original. And yes, I know. Sometimes that happens. I know Wes Craven made the original one, but I'm sorry. Just because Wes Craven is Wes Craven does not mean that it was a great film. The only thing memorable about the original Hills Have Eyes is Michael Berryman. And 
you know, mm-hmm. he's got a very specific look if and a very memorable look. And yeah. if you take Michael Berryman out of that movie, it's no better than the other drive-in crap that was coming out in the grindhouse era at that time. But because of who made it and yeah. because Michael Berryman's, you know, image is what carried that movie on for so long. But they came out the fucking they came, they came out swinging with the, with the remake and they improved on every beat and they knocked it out of the park. That's that and Chainsaw is two of the best horror, horror movie remakes to come out mm-hmm. in, in the past uh, 20 years or so. But anyway, enough enough about remakes. Yeah. Dead Pit definitely could <laughs> could could use one. I'd love it. I'd love to see that. All right, so let's uh, let's go ahead and then uh, turn turn the lights a little low and, and and get ready to wrap things up. Katie, tell me your your final thoughts. Give me your epitaph on the Dead Pit. Okay, so I think I don't I I can't, I can't say that I like this movie because <laughs> I don't know how much I'm gonna watch it again. Right. To be perfectly honest, um, but you know. I I don't think it's all bad. I think, you know, we've definitely talked about some of the the more endearing moments. It is a hundred percent worth a watch. Like if you like if you like just like goopy gore, if you like supernatural shit, if you just like seeing a super hot late 80s babe run around with her big hair and her underwear, like there's just a little something for everybody in Absolutely. this movie. So I think it's definitely it's definitely worth a watch. Um so yeah i mean i i i fully agree that i think this would be a great movie to remake because i think i think a remake is a good opportunity to improve on something that maybe kind of like fell flat when it originally came out right um so i think you could only improve and expand on this story like i think the framework is there and the idea is there like they had a really good idea but maybe if they hadn't only had a week to write it it would have been a little bit better (laughs) absolutely i agree on all fronts let me ask you this if um if somebody like kidnapped you okay and they're about to drop you okay. they're about to drop you out of a out of a helicopter with a parachute and a dvd and a, and a tv and a blu-ray to, or a dvd player to watch and they said you've only got two choices this is the only movie you'll ever be able to watch for the rest of your days Curse to the bite or dead pit. Who are you going with? Oh, oh no. Um, okay. I think, damn, that's hard. I think, I kind of think I'd pick the dead pit to be perfectly honest. Cause like curse two was cool. And maybe, maybe it's a slightly better made movie than the dead pit, but it's just, I don't know something about, Dead Pit seemed a little bit more memorable to me. I feel like I would just rather watch something like that. I think I just like the setting more. Yeah. Whereas like in Curse 2, they're just like driving around the desert for a lot of it. So Yeah, I, I would say um I would I would go with you on that one. I would say I would probably pick uh Dead Pit. However, if Curse 2 had Jill Sholin walking around in the same outfit that Cheryl Lawson walked around in, then we would probably go That's for fair. two. But I, yeah, I would go with Dead Pit. So with that said, what uh, you know, if if you're going to be stuck on on a on a tropical island with with only Dead Pit in tow to watch for the rest of your life, maybe you could go ahead and tell me what is your favorite scene in the Dead Pit. 
So I think I think I'm kind of torn between two. One of them is strictly for aesthetic reasons, and that is, and I don't quite remember exactly when this happens in the movie, but there's one point where uh, Jane Doe, and I've mentioned this earlier in the episode too, like she's running through the hallways, running away, and she's got to like get through this like glass, broken glass, like window into another wing of the of the of the asylum and whatnot. And it's just got this really cool lighting and like everything is just like they're in like the abandoned wing of the hospital. So everything's empty and eerie and it's just like curtains blowing and no furniture. And it's got this great, you know, blue and red lighting with like the the white light coming in through the shutters. And I just love it so much. I just think it looks great. It's like the best looking part of the movie, in my opinion. Um, that being said, I think I'm, I'm a big fan of the scene where I guess the scene where you first find out that the holy water melts, melts the zombies because the, the the Claire, the nun and the zombie melting and all that stuff. It's just so charming and unexpected because, you know, you, you get the feeling that it's a supernatural something going on, but you di- I didn't know they were going to take this like pseudo religious angle with it. So it just was like a pleasant surprise that like, Oh, Holy water melts these zombies. So that was, that was my favorite, I think. Um, but what was your favorite? So I I'm, I'm torn between two, two scenes as well. Um, while I would say and should say that, that very scene that you just talked about, the our pseudo Looney Looney Tune nun, uh, our our big shock of her melting zombies with actual holy water, is definitely my f- favorite scene. I will also say that this the hose down is probably. Why my did I under- know that you were going to say that? <laughs> So I was just Clint, sitting here like he's leading up to it, and I know he's going to fucking talk about the hose. <laughs> so for, for people that's not seen this movie, um, our lead character of Jane Doe is uh, she's strung up by her wrist. And uh, one of the like, I think it's a dream sequence or what? It's a nightmare sequence. Um, it's a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. But one of the like evil head nurses comes in with a fucking fire hose and starts hosing her down. And it just magically rips off Jane Doe's tank top as her titties are all out getting splashed with water. And there's no reason for it to happen, but goddamn, I'm glad it happened. Um, so I would say that's that's probably my favorite scene. Okay, I like that. I That actually reminded me, just a quick sidebar about the, the hosing scene. I had a little tidbit about that. Oh. So apparently the shirt... Apparently the shirt that she was wearing, it had like dissolvable thread in it or something to just like make it rip super easy. Like it wasn't just a regular shirt. Like it was literally something designed to kind of like get dissolved I by just the water. Figured, I just um, figured it was like, also, uh, it was like Hulk Hogan's t-shirt. Like it had like little pre-rips in it. So like the yeah. slightest bit of force would rip it off. Cause it literally looks like fucking like, like yeah. Hulk Hogan. Like that shit just like rips off and then boobs fly out. Oh, it just melts off. Yeah. And then so towards the end of that scene, if you know, if you weren't too distracted by her breast, um, there's a part like right at the end before she wakes up where the the hose hits her in the face and it like caves her face in like a chunk of her cheek 
like gets caved in like by this water. And um, Ed Martinez, who did some of the special effects, like said in this interview that it was literally like that little piece was just attached to a little piece of string. And he was standing off camera and had to just like yank it really quick at the right time. And I just think it's just funny to see something that seems kind of like intense and then picture kind of like the zoom out and there's like 10 people standing around and there's just like a guy with a piece of string like pulling on her face i'm uh i'm all um, i'm all yeah struck. I, i'm all struck right now so i've i've seen this maybe probably a total of four times maybe five at the most right five at the most mm-hmm. i have never ever ever noticed as part of her cheek flies off never amazing and it happens while she's topless go watch it again it ha- yeah, it hap- it's literally the like last like half second before she wakes up from the nightmare abruptly. It's like the thing that triggers her waking up. Like they they show her topless getting sprayed with the hose and then they do a close up of her face while she's screaming and the water kind of moves up to her face and it stays on there for a couple of seconds and at the very last second you can see like a chunk missing from her face. Wow. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I was bl- I was blinded by the boobies, I guess. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of that, we, you know, we've made it to the end here and now it is time for your favorite part of the show. So, Matt, uh where does the dead pit rank on the the TNA meter? So, bruh, I'm telling you right now. Cheryl Lawson, again, girl, girl looks great walking around in her tank top and, and undies. Um, again, like like she should be out on a fucking White Snake video, uh, music video. Um, not only that, the you know the aforementioned uh, uh, topless hose down scene. So I am going to give the Dead Pit. I'm going to give it a. I'm going to give it a, a generous seven out of ten stars on the TNA meter. Seven out of ten. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. I think, I think Cheryl makes like, she makes up all seven of those points pretty much, but I did remember something. Okay. You know how in an earlier episode, we talked about how there's always a, there's always that one, that one kid who's like, if you pause it just right, you can see the nipple and you're saying that's you. Well, I happened, maybe you've just warped my brain now, but I happened to notice that uh, there's a zombie boob at one point. Get the fuck out of town. One of the zombies, like her shirt is just, yeah, one of the zombies, like towards the end, her shirt is either, it's either like wet and like see-through or it's just gone. I don't know. But I was just like, oh, there's a zombie titty. <laughs> like, what's up? Well, so I'm going to have to uh, watch Dead Pit again. Are you proud? And this time <laughs> I'm going to have to cut down from like, you know, eight hams beers to like maybe just three um, and, and really focus this time. Yeah. <laughs> And, and and try to spot the cheek flying off and zombie titty because those those are things that I need to witness. Um, but I guess I guess uh, that brings us to uh, an end of another gory, gooey, brain smashing, titty filled episode. Uh, do you got any last words for our fine folks at home? And um, no, I just just that, you know, I think this is worth a watch. So if you haven't seen it and you like this sort of thing, which if you're listening to this, you probably do. Uh, I, I did manage to find it on Tubi streaming for free, but apparently it's also on Amazon Prime if you have a subscription, at least as of the time we are recording this. But these things change quickly. So I don't know. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you know, what, Katie, I, I hope that, you know, this is our fifth episode of Video Express. I. I really hope at some point uh, 
we can watch a movie that we disagree on. But so far, we're five out of five. Um, and, yeah, and that's it's true. funny because making making this list of movies, I tried to throw curveballs in. I'm like, oh, she'll probably like hate this shit. And you have loved, you have ate up every goddamn bit of of movie I've thrown your way, and I'm I'm I, I'm loving it. Yeah, I'm 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 pretty I'm pretty generous. I'm a pretty generous movie watcher. Like I can get really critical if I needed to be. Like I mean, I could I could roast this movie to hell if I needed to. Right. But I I figure. If I if I'm entertained and, you know, if I can find if I can glean some positivity out of a movie that I will do my best to try to find it, even if it's not, you know, I'm not really going to be like itching to watch the dead pit anytime soon. But I wouldn't say it's a total lost cause. Like you have to be pretty bad for me to be like, do not watch. this. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, every movie that we're going to do, you'll always hear me say, give it a, it'll, at least give it one chance. Um. Because I love, like I said, yeah. I genuinely pretty much love everything that I've got on this list. And even though I hadn't seen Dead Pit in a long time, and it's not nowhere near as good as I remembered it being, again, I still do think that it deserves at least uh, one viewing, um, whether you know, you're know you inebriated or not. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it. Uh, that's all we have for this episode of Video Express. We want to thank our sponsor, Lunch Meat. Lunch Meat VHS is your number one destination for the appreciation celebration and preservation of vhs and video store culture check out their website at lunchmeetvhs.com and explore their store full of old school horror goodies on vhs apparel and much much more you can also follow them on instagram at lunchmeetvhs yes thank you lunchmeet um we also want to thank everyone who tuned into our show tonight and, and listened you know it's really awesome that anyone would listen to this so thank you um if you have any thoughts about the dead pit um or if you want to suggest a movie for us to cover one day in the future or if you just want to pop in and say hi uh you can find us on social media we're on twitter and instagram both under uh at video express pod so come come give us a follow Yep. Thank you guys for stopping into the video store tonight, running a movie and hanging out with us behind the counter. Uh, we thank everybody for tuning in and listening to us. We actually have a great time sitting down and two friends talking about some old school horror and VHS fun. Uh, until next time, though, just remember, please be kind rewind. But most importantly, just be kind. My name is Matt. And I'm Katie. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Video Express. Bye bye. Oh.